I'm Kieran. And I'm Eve. This is Kitchen Table Cult. Where two quiverful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious right. Hi, hey, Eve. Kieran. <laughs> we're out of practice and we're out of sync. Hello, how are you? I am hanging in there in apartment hunting hell. It is not fun, but... Uh, there's lilacs here, so I feel like Berlin is a real place. I saw dandelions, and I'm like, okay, I'm not in some weird fake world. There's weeds that I know. They're recognizable things. You're not in yeah, a simulation anymore. Exactly. Like, life over here has been blowing up. I'm in the middle of taking two days off of both jobs to finish finals grading, and then I will be done with teaching and moving on full-time to the new job next starting next week. So we're just kind of underwater doing lots of grading and big projects around the garden. And, but the biggest thing that's happened around here is, is that my brother, my 20 year old brother has moved in with us and that's been pretty abrupt, um, and intense, but good. And I'm glad that we have the space to offer him to get stable and, get them set up. But there's a, there's a whole backstory there that I'll get into later, but this is kind of the oldest of a big family, big quiverful family nightmare that you always planned for. Like, this is why I, this is why I didn't, you know, after Peace Corps, I didn't stay abroad. Like I came back because I was like, well, at some point I'm going to have to be there with a spare bedroom. So here we are. Um, Good job. I'm sorry, so, but also good job. Yeah. So um, Carmen's been really great and really supportive. My other roommate's been great and really supportive, and we're happy to have him here. Um, my other roommate keeps joking that now we have a groundskeeper. Well, I, I was just going to say you have your token, like, man. So we have our token now man. you can well, also, survive the suburbs. Those of you who who know my my roommate, Carmen, who owns the house, she's – Latina and we've been giving her a hard time and she's been enjoying this because it's like, yeah, now you have two white people like taking care of your yard and f- cooking for you. <laughs> <laughs> her, her abuela would be very proud. That's beautiful. <laughs> anyway, so fun times here. We had a round of birthdays and getting Eric settled and, you know, one thing, one day at a time. Yay. Well, speaking of days. (laughs) (laughs) We were supposed to do this recording last week before everything blew up. So, but I'm really happy that we could reschedule and we have a guest here, Cedric Lewis of Grove City College, my alma mater. Would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a little bit about why we had you on today? (laughs) Um, Okay. (laughs) Um, I'm so, so happy you're yeah. here. I'm just like, I need to reiterate, I'm so happy you're here. This is. So my name is Cedric Lewis. Uh, I am uh, an adjunct professor at Grove City College. I have been at the college now for going on 10 years. Uh, I am currently in, in probably the last, I want to say four, maybe five years. Uh, I have been the only uh, African-American or black professor on campus, faculty member. When I arrived at Grove City, uh, there were one, two, I think there were four of us, maybe five of us. Over the yeah, I just that, missed you, and I don't remember more than yeah. one. So I know there was another adjunct when I got there. There was one other full-time faculty member 
when I got there, there were a couple of other employees that worked in admissions, I think. And then there were two of us for a year. And then another Dr. Uh, Todd Allen came for a couple of years and he's at Messiah now. Uh, and so it's just been me for the last few years. Which for those of you who know, don't know Grove City, it is in northwestern Pennsylvania, is already an extremely white part of the country. So like there's some of this is like the region, but a lot of this is just also the college. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, the college of the, the makeup of the college, I want to say it's something like 90, 96 or 97 percent white, 0.5 percent African-American or, and, you know, the balance like three, three and a half percent or something like is 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 other minority <laughs> mm-hmm. whatever, how they define that. And yeah, it's been it's been an interesting kind of time being there watching it. Uh, my wife is actually a Grover. She was class of 06. And so I've seen, you know, some changes in kind of the diverse makeup of the student body, mostly, you know, athletics and some other things that have led to some of that. Mm-hmm. On the faculty side, there are, I want to say, six or seven minority faculty members altogether, or faculty or staff members. I'll, I'll say that. Okay. Uh, so they're just a, ha- a handful of us. Um, and so, you know, that's in and of itself. But like you said, re- Western Pennsylvania in general, <laughs> gross is the city. That's kind of the, the makeup, you know, that is the makeup of uh, even my church that I attend in Grove City. And, and so, you know, some of that is, is, is just the area in and of itself. It is something that at least I know has been on the radar that we recognize that it's something that needs to be addressed. But, you know, uh, things happen very slowly at Grove City, I've learned. Uh huh. And so, unless there is a a a major blow up, <laughs> uh, and so that's kind of what what kind of <laughs> got it. Would there be a major blow up, Cedric? Yeah. So <laughs> the story as I know it, <laughs> um, as I said, my background I, I've been teaching primarily the entrepreneurship department, the business part the department since I've been here. Legal studies and entrepreneurship has has been my background about, well, last year, we come back on the campus after a summer of, of unrest in America, uh, after the George Floyd killing. Uh, and, and so there were protests and there were discussions and there was, it was all over the news. Uh, and so students had questions. And mm-hmm. so as we got back to campus, you know, there was, you know, there were discussions. And, and just again, one other one other sidebar here for those who don't know Grove City, you may think that like a conservative Christian college would not be very like prone to having open discussions about these things. Grovers are really, really like theory heavy and excited yeah. to talk about stuff. So like they may be super conservative, but they are talking about everything a lot. Yeah. And so it was kind of an interesting thing. So the year before just a background. So the year before that, there had been a, a number of chapel discussions that were, were scheduled. And one of them was actually actually mine. Uh, and my understanding was even Jamar Tisby's original speech was supposed to be the year before. And then mm-hmm. COVID kind of hit and everything got delayed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so as we got ready to come back to school, I knew we had already kind of scheduled these, these discussions. Jamar Tisby, the author was supposed to come. I was going to speak, I think the week after Jamar spoke, in chapel 
And then the week before uh, was Christopher Merrick. Chris is uh, an assistant res life uh, director, and he is also African-American. So Chris and I are, are kind of the only, well, no, we're not the only ones. There's an assistant AD, our athletic director now that's also black. Uh, but so the three of us were going to speak, and then there was one, I can't even remember who the first speaker was of that month. So that month that was already scheduled before we got into this dilemma. And it was a, you know, a chance for us to talk about this idea of Christian racial reconciliation and talk about our experiences. And so there was the question. And so the other thing that happened was I was approached by Dr. Gina Blackburn from the education department uh, about teaching a new course on called diversity and advocacy. And we were gonna talk about my life experiences and, and kind of my experiences as a, as a black person in America and what that meant as a Christian, because that is the way that I approach all of my courses. And that is kind of the mission of, of Grove City College as I understood it. And that's honestly how I ended up in Western Pennsylvania teaching at Grove City College. Mm -hmm. I wanted to teach at a Christian institution and that was expected and not an exception to what I did. My Christianity has always been something that's come up, but. You were saying earlier that this is a, this is a calling for you. This is not something that you're doing yeah. for your, your main gig. You have a background in law and this is something you're doing because you feel passionate. about. Yeah. It. My partners and I own a medical device company. That, that's my primary. I've been an entrepreneur since I was 17. And so, yeah, the, the idea of me teaching, I started out teaching at, at Full Sail University, teaching music business, entertainment business, uh, because I have a background there. I own mm -hmm. uh, uh, part owner of a record label now. Uh, and mm -hmm. so I transitioned to Grove City. Initially, I was I was teaching uh, constitutional law, Founders Constitution. Uh, and then I began to build some of these music uh, marketing courses, music business courses for the college. And then I teach primarily in entrepreneurship. Uh, and then I taught business law and some other things. And so yeah, that was kind of the idea. I was moving to Western Pennsylvania. My, my wife and I, we were so dating at the time. And so the idea of being able to teach at a Christian college is very appealing to me. Mm -hmm. And and for the most part, it was it was has been very fulfilling. There were some things I had to adjust to uh, in Grove City. I'm from Central Florida. Uh, <laughs> I was just not a very diverse population. Uh, and then you know, and, and just the, you know, and my wife, you know, warned me of these things. Uh, and, and then talking to my students, you know, a large number of them were homeschooled. Uh, a large number of them had were had kind of grown up in very kind of homogenous backgrounds. And and so as I said. A number of them have said to me over the years, Professor Lewis, you are the first black person I've actually had an in-depth conversation with, right? I, I may yeah, have known yeah. some. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't surprise me. You know, I may have known some people. I may have, you know, uh, had played sports with some. But in terms of being able to just have open, honest discussions, you know, you're kind of it. Uh, and so I said, you know what? There's a purpose. The way I kind of ended up here. I said, you know, God had had some kind of of of, uh, of idea of, that a mission or a purpose for me to be here, uh, and so I was kind of trying to fulfill that for the minority students that have been on campus. You know, they found their way to me whether they had classes with me or not. Mm -hmm. For and, and oddly enough, other non-minority students have found their way to my office and said, "Hey, can I talk to you? I've been told that I can have an honest conversation with you," uh, and Aww. so that's kind of been kind of part of my role. Uh, and yeah. some of those questions were, you know, can I just say this without being judged or being offended or ask you this question? You know what? Yes, absolutely. We need to have more discussions. We've been afraid to have open, honest conversations, and we can't understand each other if we won't have conversations. So, no, I'm not going to judge me, judge you because 
you have a question that may be based on your limited exposure to certain things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a super valuable, it's really yeah. it's in that environment. That's, that's very hard to come by. Yeah. Uh, and you know, others have said, you know what, I feel kind of out of place here because I'm, I'm surrounded by people who think this and that's not necessarily how I think. Uh, can I talk to you about this? And, and so, yeah, that's been, you know, I, that's why I've always had an open door policy. That's why I put my cell phone number on my syllabus. That's why I give students so much access to me because mm-hmm. I want them to be able to have someone that they can talk to or go to. Uh, you know, yeah. long before this class was ever created, I was having these conversations, you know, from a Christian perspective with my students. And so, mm-hmm. When Dr. Blackburn approached me about the class, I said, well, yeah, we can we can do this. Part of her impetus uh, in doing this was saying, hey, yes, we need to talk about these issues. But more importantly, the way you approach, the way you deal with everyone is from a Christian perspective. And so that's never even been an issue. That's just how I live my life. And so back to the issue that got us here. Uh, we teach this class last year. You know, it is an integrated class. There's, there's a mix of, of majors uh, as well as, as races, and, and it's an excellent class. For the first time we taught it, you know, there were some things we wanted to tweak, but we go, this is a good class. Mm-hmm. We go into year two. We're going to teach the class again in the spring. So it's been taught one, one time. There were, I think there were eight or, I think there were eight or nine students in the first class. We're going to teach it again. So lo and behold, sometime during the summer, I hear about this petition. And someone sent it to me, another faculty member texted me and said, hey, have you heard about this petition? I went, "Mm, what petition? (laughs) And so they texted me this link. And I read this petition and I go, okay, this is way off base. This is kind of humorous to me. Even my initial reaction was this is humorous. So what does this petition say? This petition says that there's mission drift at the college. And it specifically mentions my class as, as being one that is teaching CRT and that the, 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 the lecture, the uh, chapel series have been teaching CRT and talks about the um, diversity council, which I was on, you know, which we, we were a number of, of faculty and staff and some alum, uh, alumni of color that had met a couple of times with President McNulty to talk about things that needed to be done to recruit more minority students and more minority faculty. I think we met like two times. Uh, and it talked about the Office of Multicultural Affairs. Yeah. operating procedures for a college that is trying to, I yeah. mean, the college has had enrollment issues for the last few years and like this is a very normal thing for them to be looking at. Yeah. Uh, and so, and then it talked about the Office of Multicultural Affairs and uh, some of the book groups that they had been leading. Uh, and, that there had been some RA training that they thought was was pushing CRT. And so, you know, I kind of went, okay, here we go again with the CRT stuff because it had become such a huge thing over the summer. Uh, and as mm-hmm. someone, you know, with legal training who actually had taken a class on CRT in law school, I went, this is not what CRT is. This is not what CRT was kind of meant to be. And uh, this has kind of become a political calling card, but okay, I don't teach CRT. So my first reaction was, okay, I'm just going to ignore this because this is not 
because it's not about, worth the energy. It's it's, yeah. it's not it, like it's literally not worth the time because it's so off base. And so I literally for, I forgot about it. Uh, and so as we got closer to, to to the new semester, probably a month, month and a half, I got an email from another professor who said, "Hey, I'm doing a class in law and society. I need." you to come into class and give a pro CRT lecture so that my students get both sides. And so my first reaction was, mm, why do you think I'm pro CRT? Not that I am or I'm not, <laughs> but why do you think I am? But I'm going to put that aside for a minute. That's a big assumption. So, yeah. Right. And so I went back to the professor, you know, and I said, hey, can you give me a little more background? I said, if, if we're trying to give a balanced kind of approach to this discussion that's going on in America, I'll do that because we need to give background, but I don't want to kind of, I don't know, I want to know what I'm stepping into. <laughs> and he said, no, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. I want to give this, this kind of balanced approach and you know, I'm going to give some lectures and they're going to have some readings. And, and I said, well, can you send me the list of readings? Which he did. And I, and I said, okay, well, this is not, none of this is kind of course CRT. I think there was one piece that was an article even I think it was an interview of, 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 of Erica Crenshaw, maybe. But I said, none of this is kind of foundational stuff. And so I, I kind of said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I said, I've only got 50 minutes. I'm going to give a background. There were kind of like this, this definition of what CRT proper is, as I called it. Uh, and mm -hmm. I said, I'll give like these 11 basic tenets of CRT so we have an idea of what CRT is and what it isn't. And then I'm going to, get, I'm going to create a list of kind of, documents for your students that says, hey, if you really want to go down that rabbit hole, here's some foundational documents that you need to read. This is one of the things I love about Grove City. And this is something that you're doing that's very much in that tradition that I enjoyed as a student there is like reading primary sources is yeah. one of the things that they push. And so this is like perfectly in keeping with every other class I took during my time there. Yeah. And so I'm not a CRT theorist, <laughs> quite frankly. As I said, I haven't thought about CRT and mm, we're pushing 22 years here since mm -hmm. I graduated law school. Mm -hmm. And so I actually went out and I reached out and I actually told Professor Zimmerman, I reached out to some CRT theorists. One in particular who I found out after listening to him on a podcast was a Grover. And so I was really shocked. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and, so, and so I emailed this professor. He's a, a, a professor at, at Wheaton College. And, and so I reached out to, to Dr. Nathan Cartagena and, and I said, hey. So oh, I know that name. Yeah, yeah. I said, here's an interesting thing. I said, I'm the only black professor at Grove City College. And I've been asked to give this lecture on CRT. And I gave it a background. I said, I was listening to you on a podcast recently. And you mentioned, much to my surprise, that you were a Grover. And so I dug up this information about you and, hey, will you talk to me about this? And here's what I'm trying to do. And here's what I'm looking for, some, some primary sources that, and so he, he emailed me back. It was very nice. And he said, you know, hey, uh, I'm really surprised to hear from you. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, you're, yeah. He was a student when he was I'm like, I'm like looking him up and I'm like, I recognize that face. Like he was, he was yeah. there while I was there. And, and he said, and so, yeah, he told me a little about his experience at Grove City and, and, and it was not 
very surprising of an experience for a minority student in Grove City College. Yeah. Uh, and, and why he doesn't talk a lot about the fact that he's an alumni of Grove City College. And he's recently yep. written some things since all of this has come out. But he was very helpful in saying, hey, these are some foundational documents. And, you know, there were some readings from him that I had read and, and, and some others. And he said, these are the things that kind of shaped me. And he said, this is more kind of core CRT. And he said, these are more on the religious side of CRT. And it was very helpful in compiling the list. And I said, hey, you want us to teach? And he said, no, I will not teach at Grove City College. He says, I've actually refused for a number of years because some of the people, some of the professors I had interactions with that really kind of shaped my reactions are still there. And, you know, I, I, I don't have a lot to do with the college now. And I understood that. I respected that. But yeah, he said, you yeah. know, bro- brother, to, brother to brother, here's, you know, you know what, you're, what you're asking for. Mm-hmm. And so I gave this, this talk. And it is the only time in growth in my time at Grove City that I've actually uttered the word CRT. And it was a 50 minute talk. And the professor and I, after he said, I said, how was that? He said, that was perfect. That was great. You know, I wish we'd had time for more, more questions and answers, but thank you. You did exactly what I needed you to do. And I said, okay. And I walked out of the classroom mm-hmm. and I didn't think about CRT anymore. <laughs> And two or three weeks later is when I got this message about this petition. And I went, oh, okay. But again, I didn't think about this anymore until the new semester got And this petition started. is started by alumni, by current students, by parents? This was started, so this was started by a group of parents. Okay, that's um, what I thought. And that I was told. And, and so I was like, okay. And, and some of them mentioned that they had, some of them said we have students there. And they're witnessing these things. And so I went to go and I go, are any of these parents of students in my class? And the answer is no. Mm-hmm. So I go, okay, I won't talk about the other things other than chapel, which I attended all of those chapel service, services. So I know I was like, that is not what happened. And, you know, they're recorded. And so I don't understand how you got that. But, okay. But is it related to my class? None of these people had had none of these parents had children in my class or had taught, taken my class. So I went, okay, mm-hmm. this is strange. New semester gets ready to start, and Dr. Blackburn and I are getting together to do our normal tweaks of the class every semester. Wait, wait, one other note, sorry, sorry, I keep yeah. doing this, but one other note for our listeners: Grove City, because they were the like flagship university leading the like private Christian colleges being exempt from title nine and not receiving federal funding. They only take private loans. So they can't take federal loans, Pell grants, any of that if you're a student there. And so parents at Grove city have a, have kind of an undue amount of power over their children and over the school because they are the ones who are financing these educations outside of the private loans and co-signing these private loans. And so when you would have like, for me, like as a professor, normally I can't talk to my students, parents, there's like, there's legal protections that that student has for privacy from their parents trying to intervene in their education as an adult college student. I can't talk to them about their grades. I can't talk about how they're doing, like, unless the student like has signed something that says so. At Grove City, this is like a very different environment from what you would usually run into. And so if you're, you're sitting here thinking, this is weird, this is why. <laughs> well, oddly, oddly enough, that is my personal position. And most of the professors that I know 
Mm-hmm. These are adults, they're legal adults, and, and we normally don't talk to parents. This petition yeah. was not sent to us, it was sent to administration. Right, and that's mm-hmm. what I mean, is like the administration has a lot more, take, yeah. has to take their weight a lot more seriously than any other school's administration would. Right. So, as I said, we're, we're getting together to make adjustments to the courses we do every semester. Every tour, I, I, There are courses that I've taught for nine years that get adjusted every single semester that mm-hmm. I could teach in my sleep. But because things change, law changes, I take a lot of feedback from student evaluations every semester. And so that's what Professor Blackmore did. We looked at it and said, okay, we've taught this one time. How can we make this class better? How can we make this better for the students? And we took their feedback. And, and so we made adjustments to the class. We changed some of the, the uh, primary text. Uh, we added some additional readings and, and different viewpoints and said, you know, we want to broaden that, that aspect of it so that we broaden the discussions. And so we finished this and, and probably a week, maybe two weeks before classes were to begin, we got summoned to the dean <laughs> of the department and says, hey, have you heard about this petition? Yes, we've heard about the petition. Well, you know, we're getting feedback from the provost's office and the president's office that, you know, we'd like to see your new syllabus. Okay, well, we turn our syllabus every semester, but okay, here, here it is. And so, yeah, again, for people who don't teach, like you usually yeah. do have to turn in your syllabus like the first week of classes, like this is yeah. a normal procedure. So they came back and said, we'd like you to make an adjustment. Okay, what adjustments would you like? We'd like you to break down specifically the additional readings that you do, because there are articles, there's, this is a very kind of visual generation. So I have interviews and, and YouTube videos and things that all lead to discussion board posts, right? Yeah. Analyze this, talk about this. When you break these down into categories, and, and so the suggested categories that came not from us, but from uh, them was, you know, Conservative, liberal, moderate. <laughs> oh, okay. According to whom? So, so right. So I'm like, okay, well, all right, we'll do that. Because we kind of do that in the class. Like one of the things we do is we go, okay, here's the topic. We want you to go get news articles. And we want this group to go to more conservative uh, news sources. This one to go to more liberal. This to go to more moderate. And we, right. and we of discuss course I do how- this too. But like, it's hard, it's hard to define- which is conservative, yeah. <laughs> which is from where you're coming from. Because if you're right. conservative, then if you're as conservative as I was growing up, then like the Federalist might be liberal compared to right. what you were like, like you can't, you can't right. quantify this. And, and so we, we've kind of got these slowing definitions. And so we, 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 we did it reluctantly, but we did it. Mm-hmm. And so classes start, we're in this about a week, they come back, they say, Hey, We'd like you to change it back, basically, remove the categories. We're like, well, that's how we had it to begin with. But nothing else was changed in the document, just the removal of the categories again, which was the only thing that was added. And so we, we're in this new semester. Like I said, we had some, some books from the first class that we moved, that we removed. And, and there was one book that we added, uh, which was- Dear Mark- college administrators, I would love you to teach a class yeah. and tell me how that went. <laughs> And so, you know, there was some discussion about, you know, academic freedom and, hey, you know, we do these things for a living. And the the response we got was, no, we don't question this. Yes, we believe in academic freedom. We just, okay, fine. We know all this is going on. But I'm like, okay, Uh 
And so now this is starting to become a thing. This petition now has gone and it has generated some, some blog posts and, and then it turned into some articles and this thing is gaining steam and I'm going, uh, okay. But my, my, my personal reaction was still, I think this is going to, you know, this is getting blown out of proportion, but I think you guys are giving it too much air, quite frankly. Little did I know that that's exactly what happened because that little bit of air turned into a whole lot of air. And so now instead of one or two little blog posts, there were, you know, dozens. And, and now I'm getting news articles from uh, religious news services. And at one point it... Christianity Today and all these other places picking it, it up. It turned into, uh, it hit Newsweek, which was really interesting to me because for all of these pieces, until it had really kind of gotten big, no one reached out to me. Newsweek never contacted me and said, hey, what's your take on this? And by the way, do you teach CRT? Um, oh, my God. Was it because people are focusing on on uh, Jamar Tisby's speech or... No, because all of these articles mentioned my class okay. <laughs> and even mentioned me. Jamar certainly has a larger platform. And, and certainly right. when they really started focusing on Jamar, Jamar started follow, you know, uh, responding back. <laughs> yeah, he, I mean, his, he has a Substack piece that's pretty substantive. Yeah. yeah. And so I said, okay. And then finally, I think Higher Ed was the first publication that actually reached out to me to interview me and actually get my thoughts on any of this. Uh, and then uh, religious news source services follow up with that. But mm -hmm. other than those, no one actually spoke to me. And so that was really upsetting to me. Yeah. Right. Because they, they reached out to administration. <laughs> they reached out, I think a couple of them, actually, I don't even, I'm not even sure if any of them actually reached out to Jamar initially. Uh, they were uh, just kind of quoting what he was following up on. Just wearing my journalist hat for a second here. Yeah. Again, for our listeners, some of this is not the fault of the journalists. This is the fault of the editors who are, you know, they are trying to get clickbait. They're trying to like appease the owners of whatever outlet and trying to keep things moving at a fast clip. And so the journalists don't have time, literally are not allowed to go doing the like actual like you know, uh, on the ground conversations and interviews that they would like to do and, because the editors are saying this is just as a quick piece, just summarize the situation, move on. They don't have time. They're not allowed to have time. And so like as frustrating as this is, this is a like media industry funding problem, not a like journalists are dumb problem. And it's extremely frustrating for everyone involved. Yeah. So the news we thing was interesting enough to me that because the whole Newsweek thing said that was premised on that there was a petition from anonymous faculty members who kind of supported this whole idea. And I found out about the Newsweek piece in the middle of a faculty meeting. And I was really upset because, again, no one has spoken to me. And so right. I, I literally stood up in this faculty meeting and I said, as Christians, we have people who I'm assuming are in this room who are speaking to Newsweek, but haven't come to my office. I'm, I'm sorry, y'all. What about Matthew 18? 
Right. <laughs> and that's exactly what I said. Yeah. <laughs> and I go, how exactly is this a Christian approach to any kind of disagreement, discourse? I said, you know, I, I was not happy at that point. No, of course. But I said, you know, my bottom line is this. We've centered this whole thing around this argument about CRT, but can we get back to the fact that I don't teach CRT and that I've never taught CRT and that my class is not about CRT? And, you know, if we're having a theological discussion, let's do that. But that's what my class is based around. That's what everything I've kind of stood for has been based around. And, it, and so at least as far as my class and my chapel sermon has to do with any of this, this all started with scripture for me. So what mm -hmm. are we talking about? And both of these chapels speeches, again, I'm just giving footnotes here. Yeah. Do yours is just a, the church is the most segregated part of America and that's a problem. And this is not what Christians should stand for and what gives. And Jamar's was about Esther and standing up for what you believe in and standing up for the, the, the marginalized and standing up for justice. That's it. None of these things are complicated or controversial. Super basic, honestly. Right. Like. And, and for most of this stuff that, that for me, that's what it was. Um, mm -hmm. I think for the, 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 and so, well, let me get into this. I'll go this. So how this whole thing moved along was this, after all of this stuff blew up, the board of trustees got involved. <laughs> because so far this has been in-house. And so I'm told now that there's going to be, that the Board of Trustees has decided there will be a special committee of trustees, I think there were either six or eight of them, that are going to do an investigation on this, this whole allegation of mission drift. Internal investigations always work for this kind of thing, don't they? And I go, okay. And so I'm looking at the list of, of committee members, and most of them are either attorneys or judges. And I went, okay. And so we get called in individually. So not my, myself, Dr. Blackburn, but also, as I said, Justin Jose and uh, Pastor Don Opitz, who's the, the dean of the chapel, and all, all these people that are mentioned get called in and, and interviewed. And Justin Jose is? is the uh, director of multi or the, the office of multicultural affairs. Thank you. And so we all get called in. Everyone is mentioned in this petition and we get interviewed. I think by two, it was, everyone got interviewed by two subcommittee members. And so Dr. Blackburn was interviewed uh, first. I was interviewed. Uh, and then I believe uh, Dr. Connie Nichols, who is the chair of the ed department, was interviewed after us. Mm -hmm. The overwhelming consensus, as we all kind of talked afterwards, were we were all kind of interrogated. There was no kind of um, approach of let me find out what's really going on here. It was more of a here's what we have determined is being taught here and we kind of expect you to, to confirm that or, or confess to us kind of thing. This goes back to the whole, like we've lost, we've lost the battle on defining CRT. And so yeah. you're across right? the conversations are across purposes. Yeah. So my interview was not a, so what do you teach? It was, 
So how do you defend being a Christian and, and teaching CRT? And I went, I don't teach CRT. Um. Um, and they go, well, they started cherry picking lines out of one of the textbooks in particular, how to be an anti-racist. How does this um, represent a Christian worldview? I said, well, taken out of context, it probably doesn't. But um, <laughs> this is the author's opinion. And that's how it's presented. And so none of this is endorsed by myself or Dr. Blackburn. And I said, again, this is one sentence out of a 22 chapter book. Right. Mm. And, and my next question, have you read the book? <laughs> have you read any of these books that you're actually uh, upset about? Because based on some of the questioning I got, it, it seems very evident to me that you haven't read the books. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you know, this, well, this, this is CRT. Well, no, this isn't CRT. Um, and if you read the book, you just because Fox News says that Dr. Kendi is CRT does not mean that he is CRT. Well, that's interesting because I, I, when you read the book, you recognize that there are no CRT terms. There's no reference to CRT. In fact, there's, there's one sentence that is a half of a CRT theory that is then taken off into Kendi's own version of that. Mm -hmm. And I think there are about 30 interviews where Kenny's been asked specifically, are you a CRT theorist? Where he says, no, I'm not a CRT theorist. My book is not CRT. If you're going to classify it, it's kind of critical social justice, which is kind of its own thing, which mm -hmm. is yeah. also what right fragility is. And I think Robin DeAngelo is the one who kind of coined that term, but it's not, not CRT. But I said, again, these are opinions. And they go, well, do you give other opinions to those things? I said, well, yeah, you've seen they were presented with the entire syllabus. And I said, and so if you listen to these other viewpoints, you will know that these are, are kind of counter to that. And again, these are also given as alternative viewpoints. And mm -hmm. I said, and then we go back and we look at scripture and say, this is what scripture says about these things. And I said, and basically, we have open discussions with our students about how they feel about all of these various opinions and how they develop their own opinions from these things. Can you tell, tell our listeners a little bit more about how you have your students bringing their own discussion questions? Yeah. And so the class is like this. So we start the class, we introduce ourselves and the, the kind of idea. And so in the first five minutes of class, I lay out my personal belief about the class. And I say to them this, if you've come here expecting me to say to you as a black male in America, you white male, white female, you're evil or you're racist because of your race, you're in the wrong place. That's not what we believe. That's not <laughs> what we teach you. Mm -hmm. So no, that's not it. Uh, and then I immediately begin with scripture, in this case, Revelations 5, which is what my chapel discussion, you know, no segregation in heaven was, was based off of. And I said, this is why we're here. <laughs> And I talk about Acts chapter two, and I talk about the original church. And I said, we are all made in the image of God, and we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and, and so this is why we're here for, to teach this class, right? And I said, and so what we do is we're going to have these open, honest discussions. And we try to create an environment where they're comfortable discussing their viewpoints. They're comfortable asking questions that they may not be comfortable asking in other settings. Um, as I've said before, for a number of my students, based on my conversations with them, I am the only or the first black person they've ever had kind of in-depth discussions with. And so mm -hmm. part of what I 
with my students, not just in class, but even all over campus, is say, you can come to me and ask me the questions that you're afraid to ask or you feel that you're going to be judged about or ostracized about or viewpoints you may have. And we'll have an open, honest discussion about those things. And so I try to do that same thing in class. And Professor Blackburn and I both try to do that. And so once those students are comfortable with that idea and they've kind of found their voice, they kind of take over class. Mm -hmm. And so these are ed students primarily. And so somewhere near or just before the begin, the middle of the semester, they take over the discussion. So the first couple of books may be, okay, we've talked about this. Here's a list of questions we're going to discuss. By that middle of class, the students are the ones doing that. So they're assigned, each student is assigned two chapters of a book, for instance. Uh, and so with How to Be an Anti-Racist, that's what happened. Each student took two chapters. They developed the discussion questions that they led the discussion. Dr. Blackburn and I just kind of sat and, and listened, basically, unless we were specifically asked. Which is a great way to teach an ed class. Yeah. Like you're teaching them how to how, yeah. how to have student-centered pedagogy is beautiful. Yeah. And so, you know, for several, so for some of the chapters in, in Kenny's book, for instance, one of the chapters deals with uh, the notion of colorism, for instance. Now that is a, a strictly an experience with African-Americans with colorism among themselves. Well, primarily, I won't say exclusively, because we have, you know, they read other articles about the idea of colorism. And so they may then turn to me and go, Professor Lewis, we don't really have this experience. What's your experience with this? And so then I will say, okay, well, here's my experience with colorism. And this is how other black people treat various shades of black people in this kind of historical context. So I may chime in there. And then they may say, okay, here's our experience with this. But for the, those other discussions, that's them kind of talking and developing their own thought. And that's the purpose of it. And those are some of the best discussions <laughs> because mm -hmm. they talk about each other and says, okay, I see this, or these may be, you know, how I may or may not have a bias in this. or this is the way I've always thought about this. And now that I listen to this viewpoint, I had to think about this this way. And, and mm -hmm. now maybe I kind of think about my past experiences, some of them being in, from a rural environment and some of them being in a more urban, urban environment. I have a student, I had two brothers this semester who were from uh, a suburb of Cleveland, which was mm -hmm. more diverse than others. I have another student mm -hmm. who's from around here that had less, was from a less diverse city, but had friends in a city over that was more diverse. And because he played sports, he spent a lot of time there and, and said, but I also didn't consider this kind of growing up where I was. And then I had other students who were like, you know what, my, my development was, I was homeschooled. And so I had a very uh, kind of homogenous, you know, friend group or, or church group. And so I never encountered any of this. Uh, and so that's the purpose of kind of this class is being able to kind of have those discussions. But the goal is to have them kind of lead those discussions, not for us to give our opinions or not mm -hmm. for us to, as, as I was told, indoctrinate them into any kind of way of thinking. Right. And right. so as you're sitting here talking to these, these board of trustees members, they're not asking you about any of this. None You're not getting to and tell so, them any of this. Right. And so I said, have, I said, you know, I've, I invited all of them to class. I said, no one's come to my class. And to this day, <laughs> no one's come to my class. And I said, hey, you want to talk to my students? To this day, none of them have spoken to my students. My students wrote a letter to administration and they, they went 
at their request, they met with the president, but none of the trustees have spoken to any student who has ever taken this class to this day. And no one has actually been in my classroom to this day. And so this committee issues a report. And this report is, what it actually is, is a recommendation to the full board of trustees. And it says that there's some mission drift. And they're saying that my class in particular teaches pop CRT based on the five core reading lists, two of which were not even taught this semester. They were in the original version of the class last semester, which they certainly didn't fix. There's no mention of the, the remaining reading. There's no mention of input from my students because no one spoke to my students. Uh, and so they, they present all these things as fact. So academically rigorous. We love it. Right. And I go, how do you declare this as facts if you haven't actually investigated any of these things? This is all hearsay and your opinions, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I go, the first thing I said is I said, most of us faculty members, I actually said this in a faculty meeting, would not accept the level of research that was put out in this report from our undergrad students. Yes. <laughs> this is exactly what I was thinking. I'm sitting here thinking like Grove City prides itself on being academically rigorous. Like the the research requirements for any Grove paper is, are pretty like Yeah. I wouldn't have been able to pass my English 1A with that kind of study. Like, like, the, the, like no. the, 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 and, and all of these are, are judges and lawyers. Like they know better. Well, and that was the other thing, because apparently some people took offense to the fact that I said that most of what is presented as facts would not be admitted in the courtrooms of these judges that it's all because it's hearsay. Well, I mean, I noticed just now you used you used the term hearsay earlier, and I was like, this is a specific legal meaning that you're this is a this is yes. this is something that you're communicating to these people that they are familiar with. Right, because you basically took your interpretation of some textbooks and then said that this is what I I, I teach, <laughs> but you don't have any firsthand knowledge of this because you've not been in my classroom. Mm-hmm. And at least if you've spoken to my students, if they confirm that, they haven't, by the way, they all are going, what in the world are they talking about? Even the students from last, I got, I got emails from people graduating go, we caught wind of this. And they go, that's not what you taught us. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I go, okay. And so I was, and so I finally said, okay, I'm going to respond to this. I waited. I waited a couple of days after a report came out because I hadn't spoken to anybody since then. I hadn't done any interviews. I hadn't spoken to anybody. This is end of February. Yeah. And so I finally, so what I did was the first thing I did is I went to administration. I said, hey, because I was very upset that no one had spoken to me before going out and speaking publicly, I'm not going to do the same thing. (laughs) And so I said to them, (laughs) I'm going to respond to this one time. And here's what I'm going to say. (laughs) And, and, And they said, okay. And so I issued a response on social media, which is not something, so my, I'm old. <laughs> and so my social media consists of Facebook primarily. Uh, I teach marketing. So I, I have a Twitter account that I may go on once a month, primarily to listen to little short things, but at, at, 
I talk too much for Twitter. So <laughs> 160, 230 characters is not enough for me to get a thought out, quite frankly. Yeah. So I don't no. use Twitter a lot. No, I mean, this is my first interaction with you because I, I graduated right before you started working at the college is your post in the mm. overheard at Grove City Facebook right. group. And, and this was a this was a beautiful essay that you wrote about this situation. Yeah. And so I and I and I so I put that out there. And I did. I did pivot on, on that uh, on, on overheard, which is an alumni Facebook page. And then I, I put it on Twitter just because. Again, I know Jamar and others were responding on Twitter. And so I mm-hmm. actually had to learn how to do a Twitter thread. You did a good job. You did a good job. <laughs> I, I taught myself how to do this. Uh, and I knew that there were some people who were kind of following that were on this, this group that were following my Twitter thread. And I was like, okay. And so I put it there. And I think I even re- put it on my LinkedIn page. Mm-hmm. And so that was my one kind of public response to a lot of this. And then I answered a couple of questions on Facebook. And this was the first time you said anything public. This is the first time. I was first time I said anything yeah. public. And so after that, I got, like I said, higher ed reached out to me. Uh, and, and so I gave an interview like this to them. Mm-hmm. And I think I've done maybe two other interviews since, maybe three interviews uh, and then this podcast. Uh, but I, And all of them said the same thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And so I was, and I'm still quite frankly shocked by how this thing blew up after that. It got big before, but it got crazy after that. After you started talking publicly? Yeah. Do you think it's because you started talking publicly? I, I, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I, I honestly don't know. Because basically everyone who was on one side of this that really kind of applauded this, this report, which was really put out there as though it was the opinion of the entire board of trustees, uh, which mm-hmm. it was not because the entire board of trustees has not even met to discuss this recommendation. In fact, that's supposed to happen tomorrow. Oh my goodness. Was like, how dare he, how dare I what <laughs> respond to this? So I was like, See, he's accusing these people. Well, I wasn't accusing anyone. I said, this is mm-hmm. what happened. This was my experience. And so I responded to that. And then for a number of alumni, several of them asked me some questions. And I, I responded to a couple of them. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of them, but a couple of them. Because again, I, I was completely overwhelmed by the response. I think the morning I posted, <laughs> I said to someone, the morning I posted my response, I think I had six Twitter followers because that's how involved on Twitter I was. <laughs> that number is now upwards of 600 and i was like huh and you, you tweeted when this is over i'm deleting my twitter account because i don't want that many people having access to me that's fair because i'm a very private person outside of preaching honestly <laughs> That that's the most people, my students and, and, and my church. Those are the most people I speak to, because Twitter immediately turned it was it's it's gotten toxic. Oh yeah, Twitter's always and, toxic. And, and so my response, even the way overheard, kind of blew up. I was like, oh, this is not what I intended. And so if you look at my last overheard response, which was also my last kind of public Twitter response, other than some scriptures. Mm-hmm. that I posted, I was like, 
while I'm glad important conversations are being had, if we want to call them this, because now this is kind of gone to the point where these aren't even conversations anymore. What's happening are one of two things. You're either yelling into an echo chamber mm-hmm. or you're yelling into a hurricane force wind of opposition, mm-hmm. which is not a conversation. No, and I'm a proponent of conversations. And so I said, if this is what this is going to turn into, I'm sorry. <laughs> we need to have more conversations. And now I'm going to go back to doing what I've always done. I'm going to pray <laughs> because that, 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 that's it. <laughs> I can't do anything else. As I was telling you before we recorded about my experience with a similar conversation a couple of years back and my public, you know, commentary on Grove city and racial justice issues there. I like, I have seen this happen so many times overheard is a pretty good sampling of like what the, the alumni to current student conversations are like, where it's very, it's like Grove City's had an interesting history of being more and less conservative over the years, but like there's a lot of talking past each other. There's not a lot of interest in like hearing anything. I got death threats and I got this hate mail that you would be appalled to see like language. I probably wouldn't usually use on this podcast like that. Yeah. it was it was which gross. is saying something because we swear on here it was it was a lot of really gross stuff i had people going and telling me to go kill myself like and i was just like i i was observing things that are right. evident to everyone i'm not saying anything new i'm not saying anything super controversial i'm just saying like there's there's a history here and you should pay attention to it and i think something about the environment of like the kind of people who graduate from Grove city plus social media ends up in like, you don't have good conversations, which is part of why I wanted to have you on, on the podcast because I feel like this is a safer space to actually have a real conversation. (laughs) So you can actually be heard and, and not have people interrupting you except for me. Sorry. (laughs) So I was like, okay. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to just back away from this now. <laughs> um, and so I just kind of stopped responding to people uh, on social media, honestly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a couple of other professors in particular, uh, one other minority professor, you know, also took to Twitter and kind of, you know, talked about her experience. Uh, and so I know that there were a number of faculty members that kind of stepped up and said, hey, you know, we're here and this is not out, you know, what we're seeing um, no, you know, this is not missions rift and, and, and start to respond as well, kind of in opposition to this. And then, you know, I, I was told that there's a, uh, a group of faculty members who thought this was kind of a great thing. And we've all had these discussions. Faculty's had some public um, responses to since this report has come out to this. And so, you know, that's one thing I've been very encouraged about are, are the number of, of faculty members who kind of come to me, you know, either publicly or privately and said, hey, you know, this is kind of crazy and, you know, we're sorry you're going through this. And, and and my response is always the same, you know, A, I appreciate that support. B, I don't want you to forget the other people who've really been maligned by this, mm-hmm. but I'm okay. But more importantly, you know, as I said, we're at a, a situation now with the college and I kind of, I talked about this about two years ago with administration. I didn't know it would be on this issue, but I said, 
you know, a lot of craziness is going on in the, in a world, in the world today, in America in particular. And I said, we're becoming more and more polarized politically. And I think it was at that time, there was some discussion going on about the mission statement. Uh, and that was part of the, the uproar about this and how they were thinking of changing some of the terminology. Um, and so part of the original Grove City mission statement had said something along the lines of conservative viewpoints or conservative teaching or something like that. I can't remember exactly what the exact term was, but it had the term conservative. Conservative values has always been like part of Grove City's reputation. Yeah. And so I said to the, the president two years ago when this is all kind of started, I said, you know, I said, what I'm seeing and what we're seeing is that definitions are rapidly changing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I said, the definition of conservative 10 years ago is very different from what it has become in the last four, five, six years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I said, so I said, what's going to happen? And oddly enough, the last time we had this discussion was in a small group setting with administration, some faculty members, and Jamar Tisby. It was the day he did his talk. Jamar was in the room. And mm-hmm. I said, we're, we're going to have an identity crisis of the college. And I said, we're going to have to decide if we are a Christian college first or a conservative college. And I said, yes. the two terms are no longer synonymous. They may not be mutually exclusive, but they're certainly no longer synonymous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember getting a little bit of pushback by that. And said, well, you can, kind of, you can be Christian and conservative. I said, you can. But I said, but those two things don't mean the same thing anymore. And, and we're seeing mm-hmm. more and more of that. And I said, you know, when we talk about politics, it's funny because someone took, I remember someone, I was on, looked on social media, someone took that direct quote from me and said, Professor Lewis now says that conservatives aren't Christians. And I went, that's not what I said. <laughs> there all. is a difference. Oh my God. And I said, and he's injecting his political views into this. And I said, well, first of all, you don't know my political views. I said, number one, we just assumed that the black professor is a Democrat. I said, well, that's not true either. Said my political view is I'm a Christian. <laughs> I said because mm-hmm. if I laid my Bible down and I laid the Republican platform down and I laid the Democratic platform down, neither one of those two platforms would survive the scrutiny of Scripture. And I said that is how I am politically. I'm a Christian, and so that means that I don't vote Republican or Democrat on anything. I mm-hmm. vote a person, and if that candidate can't separate themselves from their political platform or their political party, they don't get my vote. That, that's just it. That's how I am. That's my mm. politics. I said, if you want to, you know, take my personal view on my personal view on certain topics, I'm still more conservative than I am liberal. Although there are some issues that I'm more liberal on. I'm a black man in America. There are certainly some social issues yeah. that I'm more liberal But even then, that's not based on the fact that I'm a black man in America. That's based on the fact that I'm a Christian in mm-hmm. America. And my reading and study of scripture over the, well, let's see. Uh, I think the first time I went into church, I was two weeks old. <laughs> so in my 49 <laughs> years of Christianity uh, and being the son, the grandson, the nephew of, of pastors and bishops and and, and so my whole life is the church. My, mm-hmm. my, val- my view and study of, of, of Christianity and of scripture has been that these are things that we have to address and can't ignore. 
And that has been the whole impetus of my call of having discussions on racial reconciliation in some of these, you know, talking about and dealing with the marginalized and these other issues that, yes, I understand you've decided that this connotation of social justice has this whole thing. But to me, this is simply things we're called to do as Christians. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so this is scriptural things, you know, and so whatever political definitions you want to give them, I don't play that game. I never have. Right. right. Uh, and, and I'm not going to. But I'm going to preach these things because these are, you know, this is this is theological. And, and so in the interviews, no one has had a theological discussion with me. I'm not seeing a lot of theological discussions, uh, some, but not a lot of theological discussions going on on social media. Mm-hmm. And again, those quote unquote faculty members who have whatever issues they have with me have not had any discussion with me at all. So I don't even know what those discussions are. Which is, it's it's one of the more exhausting and disappointing parts of, of these kinds of conversations. It's like you, 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 you it, it, it is to me, as I said, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm now forced to be when I, I've been in a situation for nine years where I've said, the one thing I can rely on is that I'm sitting in a, a, a place where I have common Christian values and Christian goals uh, in how I live my life and how I educate my students, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and I walk along these halls and, and I speak to everyone because I'm from the South. I speak to everybody. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's the rule. Whether they, me, whether they speak to me or not, right? Uh, and now I'm in a situation where I have to walk the halls and I'm dealing with, with, with my colleagues and I have to go, hmm, does that person have an issue with me? And do, do is this one of these anonymous people that are out, you know, speaking ill of me and of, of the college without talking to me? And, and, and so now I don't know anymore. That's a yeah. really disheartening situation to be in because that should not be the environment that I have. It's anxiety inducing. As a, as a Christian institution. Uh, yeah. and, 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 you know, what we're talking about are things that are, these aren't new issues at Grove City College, by the way. This, this isn't something that's happened over the last couple of years. You know, as I speak to the more alumni, these are things that have been going on for decades. Mm-hmm. In the 10 years that I've been at Grove City College, every year, every semester, we have a faculty or departmental meeting, right? Uh, and they go, we went out and we did these alumni studies, and we've done these studies about uh, with potential um, employers. And they said, we need to, you know, we need to do, we do well on these things and we teach these things very well, but we're deficient in certain things. And every semester, diversity is number one on that list. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, <laughs> and so alumni go, we, we, we were kind of in a bubble in Grove City College, and, and we've always joked about the GCC bubble and the Grove City bubble mm-hmm. in general. Uh, and we went out to the real world and went, wait a minute, I wasn't taught this and I wasn't exposed to this and I never saw this. Yeah. And, and, and you look at, you know, the school's accreditation report and the self-evaluation report, <laughs> and it's always been, hey, these diversity issues are here. And as far as I know, this has gone on for a decade or more, and several decades. And so these are, these are not new issues. No, um, they're and not. So, you know, and, and again, every year that I've been at Grove City College, I've had to talk at least one student, some minority and some not, out of leaving the college. And I've not always been successful. We've had minority students in the last two or three years leave Grove City College 
because of issues with racism and discrimination that they felt that they've not felt uh, welcome, received, heard, or safe. Yeah. And so these are direct issues. We, we know these things. And so to put our heads in the sand and say, this doesn't happen at Grove City College, well, that's not true. That's a disservice to those people, number one, uh, and your brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, and so this, these are things that are known to administration. These are things that are known to faculty members. And, you know, we've been sad about this. You know, it, since this report has come out, I've had to talk at least three students off the ledge. Hmm. It's just so frustrating to like to have a place that, I mean, I attended it because I thought there it was a place of integrity in faith. And Grove City College, let, let, let me say this, because I want to clear the air. Yeah. Grove City College is an excellent education. Let, let's start there. You cannot deny, will not argue with anyone about the quality of the education that is given at Grove City College in terms of the academics. It has its issues as an institution. We know that. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and so I will say that. Junior Christian Day was a couple of weeks ago. My son was there. Mm -hmm. Now, my oldest daughter, who just graduated college, refused to go to Grove City. Why? because of its lack of diversity. She mm -hmm. knew that she would not thrive there. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, because she knew that she is one that is known to speak out, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that she'd probably get herself in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Wise. And, and, so I, and so I could not, I could not argue with that. But I do not, I do not deny the quality of the education of growth. Well, and this now. is what's so frustrating for me. It's like, I love it. So there's so much I love about it. There's so much I loved about it. And, and I, do, I, I do too. I love the college. I love my students. I love my colleagues. But I've known about these issues and I've always spoken out about these issues. But again, it is the political climate that we're in of late that now suddenly the issue should have been spoken about to begin with mm -hmm. because I've always advocated about discussions about these things. But now we've hyper kind of sensitized and, and then pulled hyper kind of compartmentalized these things and made them these two extremes. And now we can't have any middle ground discussions because we're going, you're a CRT liberalist and, and you're a right wing, uh, ultra, you know, ultra conservative. And we can't say we're Christians having discussions about Christian issues, which is where we should be to begin with. And this is what I was getting at when I, when I used the, the word integrity just now, it's like, he, you say that you are for rigorous academics. You say you're for thoughtful, you know, understanding of yourselves in the world and scripture. And yet the administration is continuously ignoring these issues and faculty are afraid to speak out and students are like keeping their heads down and leaving, uh, graduating and like then speaking out afterward. It's, it's, it's exhausting. So it, it, it is. And, and my saddest thing, and I, I do want to say this too. One part of this that I'm saddened about is, as I said, no one has spoken to me or my, my class and about my class, but more importantly, no one's spoken to my students. And I feel like their voices have not been heard in this too. Yeah. Because, you know, to say to my students who are extremely bright young adults that, after 18, 19, 20 years of a foundation in your theology, your religion, your thought of how you, for you to read three or four books and it is going to decimate everything you ever believe. Right. 
is doing them a disservice. Yeah, that's so insulting. They're not. They're not stupid. I, 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 there's no other way to put that. They're not their, stupid. Their sense of self and worldview is not that fragile. Yeah. Well, and something that yeah. like kind of is shocking to me as someone who has only gone to community colleges is like it baffles me that the board of trustees hasn't talked to the students or had a conversation because that's the whole point of the board of trustees is to like make sure the school is doing good right. for the students. So what are they doing? And, and so I hope, I hope, right. I hope that they get to at least see the letter that my students wrote. I hope they're, I know that people are writing to the board of trustees, alumni are right. And so I'm hoping that those voices are at least considered. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Would you be able to share that letter that your students wrote with us so that we could put it in the show notes? Yes, because they, they've given me permission to share that. So I, will, I, I can do that. And so that, that's, that's from the current students. And, and so I, 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 you know, I, I take, I really want their viewpoint to be heard, but at least they're taking this firsthand. Yeah. The other thing uh, I will say is this, and I, and I said this to my students, you know, one of the things that, that was interesting to me in reading that report, they, they made mention of the small number of students who have taken a class, 15, they said. And I said, you know, that's interesting to me because it, they tried to make it sound as though those 15 students didn't matter that, okay, we, we've kind of stopped the bleeding sort of thing. Uh, and, and the rest of the college hasn't been exposed. And I, and I will say this, I said to my students on the last day of class, I said, that's not how I took this. Because I want you guys to understand as you leave here and you go out into the world and, and, and take whatever opinions that you have about these issues. There were only 13 disciples. Okay? <laughs> and we know what they did with scripture and with the word. And so never doubt the power that you have. If you are going out and you are telling God's truth, don't believe that, oh, there's only 15 of us. Because number one, I know that the support behind you is much larger than that. Mm -hmm. But if God has called you to do something, to say anything or do something, he has given you the tools to do that. And he will bring you through that. So do not be afraid to say that I'm young or I have a little bit of experience and I've only got this. I said, if you've got the word of God and you've got the Holy Spirit with you, you're golden. God and you will already have extremely clear, concrete evidence that what you are learning, whether yeah. it is what it is represented as or not, is terrifying to the those in authority. And that's probably that's probably a good sign well my, my thing is this these are i mean these are ed students most of my students a large number of my students have specifically said they want to go and teach in urban environments mm -hmm. and so had they not been able to read these viewpoints or have discussions yeah. with me yep how do you go from an environment that is 90 96 97 98 percent non-minority into a population that is now 80, 90% minority or, you know, mm -hmm. and be able to relate to your students and be able to understand how your students and, and be able to educate them and, and have them have you do for them what I've done for you. Be the person they can come to and talk to. Be the person that understands that doesn't critique them. We keep saying to, to these students, going back to the CRTR, well, they're telling you that because of your color of your skin, you're this or that and the other. 
what I've taught in my class is the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. That we don't make those general assumptions about people. That we take them where they are. We consider their experiences and, and where they're coming from and say, hmm, this may be why they're saying this, why they think this or not. Let me talk to them and figure out where they're coming from so I can have a discussion about them. Let me try to understand them. Let me have empathy for where they're coming from. And if we want to use the scriptural term, now let me lament with them and about their situation as I'm called to do in scripture. And so that I can say to them, here's how I can have a Christian response to what they're doing or what they're going through, or how can I educate them and help them get through this? We keep saying we want to talk about the greatness of America. I believe that America is great. I believe the opportunity. I'm living evidence of that. But it was because there were people that were along the way that said to me, hey, you don't have to be confined by this. Hey, you can overcome this. No, you don't have to believe this. And mm-hmm. those were white and black people and purple people and brown people and Christian people and, 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 and some non-Christian people and non-believers as well. And I was able to listen to a number of of opinions. And yeah, I worked hard. And yes, I was blessed in a lot of situations. And more importantly, I was also taught that, hey, just because you were able to do this, there are people who grew up the same way you did that didn't have the opportunities you had. They yep. still face it. And even, even where I am, I still face this. Yep. Right? Yep. And now raising uh, children, adoptive children that are minority and two of them are white. And I'm in an interracial list. My wife is a grover and she is white. And we deal with these things every day. Yeah. And so I still deal with racism and I still deal with discrimination and I still deal with those things that are within built into our system. I deal with as an attorney. I've done these things and look at the legal system, be able to analyze and say, I've seen the different outcomes and the differences in sentencing and, yeah. and charging things. And, and, and I see the difference of when I'm pulled over. I have to teach my sons how to react as black males when they're pulled over and what they can and cannot do and can and cannot say. Yeah. The fact that I have to have those discussions with them are not things that, that some of my students have to deal with and don't think about. And they go, yeah. I, I didn't have to think about those things. And no, my parents didn't have to have that discussion with me. And I get yeah. to my 18 year old son, who's a large kid and a basketball player. And I get to see the reason, the way that people look at him and, and talk to him in ways. Uh, and I get to see, you know, my wife and I, I'll tell you this story, my wife and I, every Christmas I take my children, there are nine of them. <laughs> okay. Uh, seven <laughs> of them, six, six of them are adopted. Uh, I take them Christmas shopping every year to buy something for my wife. That is my job. That's my only job. My wife handles Christmas otherwise, right? <laughs> and my wife knows when I'm going on this trip, okay? We talk about experiences. I am a, well, as I joke to my students, I'm a fairly good-looking black man. <laughs> uh, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm non-threatening, you know, but during those times, especially in between breaks, like I told you now, you know, I'm in a hoodie and sweats because I'm comfortable. My wife mm-hmm. knows when I'm going Christmas shopping with my kids because I get dressed up in what we call business casual attire. Mm-hmm. And what my wife has come to jokingly refer to is my don't scare the white people outfit. Yep. Because <laughs> yes. what I have to do is I have to be as non-threatening as I can be because I'm running around with seven biracial children and, and then and two blue-eyed blonde twins uh, in, in an environment where I'm going to be followed otherwise. Why? Because I have been followed mm-hmm. my entire life when I'm in a hoodie and sweats and what are they doing? Why are they congregating? Are, are they going to steal anything? And, and mm-hmm. they're going to steer me toward the discount section. Oh, this is on sale. 
Uh, you can't tell me that this doesn't exist in my life because yeah. it is existing in my life all the time. Yeah. Right? It happened last week. It happened to my children. It happened. You know, these are, this is an everyday life uh, in America, right? And so these are experiences that we have to talk about. Yep. Uh, and the things that, that sometimes we have to change and, and, and hate, people hate the word advocacy, but yes, we have to advocate sometimes if we have yeah. a voice or, or a platform. Well, if you have an experience, it, it's invisible yeah. to you. So of course you have to advocate to, because right. it's an educational process. And, and that's what we talk about. These are the things that I, and these are the things I talk about to just my students. These are the things I talk about to, to my fellow church members. And these are yeah. things I talk about to my pastor. Uh, and these are things I talk about to my friends and my wife's friends who are educators. And these are things I talk to my children and my children's friends about. Um, because these are Christian issues. And they know that I'm a Christian. And they're going to be more concerned if I don't talk about these things, if I'm advocating the love of Christ and his mercy and, and, and what we're called to do. Yeah. That's the norm here. This, I, I don't know what, what else is going on uh, in this. And so, no, I'm not denigrating anybody's faith. I'm saying this mm-hmm. is what I'm called to do from the scripture that I read. Yeah. If you're called to something else, okay. Again, we can have disagreements on theology. Um, you know, that's why we have so many denominations. But we cannot be nice that if they would talk stuff. to you about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That, that's, that's all I've asked. <laughs> that's all I've advocated. So, I've tried to talk to, to everyone. I apologize to one person that has reached out to me recently to have a conversation. And I wasn't able to have the conversation because I was so overwhelmed by everything. And I had to say, I can't do it right now. Yeah, <laughs> and that's the yeah. honest truth. And, and yeah. I've kind of shut down over the last couple of weeks because it's taken my focus away from other things. Uh, and so my focus now is on, on my church and on my family. And, I, and I've had to back away. Yeah. Good. That makes sense. Okay. As, as you're trying to regain normalcy and, you know, keep your focus where you want it to be, how, if our listeners wanted to find ways to support you and your students, what would you ask? The only thing I can say to everyone right now is let your voice be heard. If you wanted to email the, those trustees, do that. So they know that there are people, especially if you're an alumnus, let them know that this is the other voices that you're hearing. It's not just the people in this petition or, or, or other people, I know they're getting support both ways. But mm-hmm. if you're quiet about these things, if you go, well, my voice doesn't matter, that's not true. Your voice matters, white, black, purple, or brown. Okay, if we're gonna stand on the idea that, that we, we believe in the, 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 the core of what this nation stands for, then stand on the fact that yes, you have an opinion and you're entitled to voice that opinion, whatever it may be. Uh, and so I would say, let let the powers that be hear your voice, okay? Uh, you want to support me? If you are an alum, if you are a Christian, pray for me. If you are a non-believer, send me good vibes, <laughs> whatever you want to do. You know, uh, I, I'm not going to judge you either way. I need both of those things. <laughs> but as far as my personal well-being, it, it is wrapped up in my relationship with God. I'm I'm good, Okay. But for my students, pray for them. Show those people your support. Uh, for those marginalized and, uh, and people who don't have the voice that you have, yes, advocate for them. Listen to them. Learn from them. Okay? 
and then figure out together how to go forward. That doesn't mean tell them what you think is right for them. That means listen to them and then work on this together. This is a together thing. When we talk about racism and discrimination, this is a black problem to solve or minority problem to solve. And this isn't a white problem to solve. This is an all of us thing that we have to get right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and that's what I would say. So yeah, Thank let you. your voice be heard. Number two, if you're called to do something, go do something. Mm-hmm. I haven't said amen in like forever, but amen. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Thank you for the work that you do. I thank you for having me. You know, me. having having been a student in that environment, I know how much having people like you on campus is just the best part of the years there. It's it's really precious work, and thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. You were doing amazing work and I am sending you all the best vibes. Please enjoy your summer and time off. Well, one last thing, time right? off. <laughs> <laughs> your time not grading. My business, my business partners will hear this and go, no, he doesn't have any time off. Now we get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your non-school time. Yeah. Uh, and my children are waiting on me to take them to appointment. So <laughs> go, go do that. Thank you again. Thank you. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Kitchen Table Cult podcast. Our music is from the track Janet by the Bend the Heavens on their album Stenazzo. Our producer is Dave the Great. Our podcast is made possible by Patreon donations from listeners like you. To support us and join our community on Slack, check out patreon.com slash kitchen table cult pod. Thanks for listening.